This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast. The Nordic Asia Podcast is co-presented by the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in Copenhagen with the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Turku in Finland. Uh, I'm Duncan McCargo. I'm director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies, and I'm a professor of political science at the University of Copenhagen. And today we are going to be talking about the Rohingya situation, particularly with respect to Bangladesh. And it's my great pleasure to be joined by Aril Drood, who is a professor of South Asia studies at the University of Oslo. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Duncan. Now, as somebody who works mainly on Southeast Asia, I've come across this Rohingya issue quite a bit, but typically from the perspective of what's going on internally inside what I'm still calling Burma, most people now call Myanmar. We know about all the political upheavals there in recent years. Most people may be vaguely familiar with the fact that a large number of Rohingya people who are an ethnic minority group from the Burmese side were forced out of the country starting from August 2017 and ended up in refugee camps in Bangladesh. Can you give us a little bit of a background and explanation about this, this issue? So the Rohingyas, they lived in Burma, just sort of across the border from Bangladesh, up mm-hmm. to the northwest of the country. There was about a million and a half. Yes. That's not that many. And the Muslims, and they speak an Indo-Aryan language, which is basically a, a, a dialect of, of Bengali. Yes. Historically, they probably, I mean, there's been, there's been, Bengalis and Muslims in this, this, these parts for a very long time, probably. But uh, the majority today are probably descendants of people who came across the border uh, some 100, 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. They were migrants looking for land. They're mostly peasants. Yes. Migrants coming at a time when both what is now Bangladesh, which was then India, and Burma were ruled by by the British. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when, uh, for a short period of about, I can't remember, 20, 30 years, a bit more, when both India, British India, and British Burma were ruled from Delhi. So at this time, there was a migration of people, uh, peasants, from the flatlands of Bengal, the Delta lands, into these, um, these uh, agricultural lands of what, than was Burma. Uh, there's a lot of migration, of course, from India to Burma in these days. Uh, you had administrators, people in civil services, uh, businessmen, etc. And they settled, but they also left when Burma became independent in 48. Mm-hmm. They mostly left. The other Muslim communities also in, in Burma, smaller ones, older Muslim communities. The Rohingyas, for some reason, have become the target of a lot of Burmese nationalists. And they've been, you know, oppressed uh, in, in various ways for a long time, since 48, in, in, under various uh, Burmese regimes, and uh, made to feel unwelcome. And they've been designated as a non-national community. Yes. So uh, they... Um, have lost a lot of normal services like health services and right to school and education, etc. They've lost over the years, which hasn't really mattered all that much. I mean, some people have been put in camps, 
But a lot of people just carried on with their normal life, uh, tilling their land uh, and uh, trying to get by. Now, quite far back, as far back as the 70s, actually, there was a uh, migration from these Burmese lands, from that part of the, of the country, into Bangladesh. So you have had migrants or refugees into Bangladesh as far back as, as the 70s. And again, there was a wave in the 80s, which is why, I mean, this long history of migration from Burma into Bangladesh is one of the reasons why you will find, you actually find Rohingya communities in quite a lot of places around um, in, in the world. You find them in Pakistan, for instance, mm -hmm. yeah, and in Saudi Arabia. So that's been, that's been going on. And, and you've had a few hundred thousand Burmese or Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh for the last 10 years or so. So what happened in 2017 was that there was this beginning a much more severe unrest that started. And a small group of people called the Arsa, the, an insurgent group, attacked a police station. And the army really hit down and basically chased the Rohingyas out of mm -hmm. Which is really a, a rather marvelous, you know, in, in terms of military operation. I mean, it really worked very well. How do you get rid of a million people? Well, they did manage that, right? They, they uh, burnt a few villages. You burn mm -hmm. one village and 10 villages are scared, right? That's how, how it, it was done. And there was a lot of rapes and yes. people were killed uh, brutally. But you kill five people and a thousand people flee. That's what they did. Right? So they burnt some villages and they killed some people and a lot of people fled, crossed over to, to Bangladesh. And they've been living there ever since. So there's about 800 to 900,000 living in one camp and there's 100,000 or so living elsewhere. Yes, I just want to underline the scale of this and the very few occasions in modern history when a million people have been displaced from one country to another in a matter of pretty much of weeks. It's, it's an extraordinarily disturbing development. But, you know, I've, I've only been to Bangladesh very briefly. It's an extremely crowded country, which has all kinds of problems of its own. We can imagine almost any country in the world with a million people turning up in a matter of weeks on, on it on its doorstep will be faced with a major problem. I mean, how can a country like Bangladesh cope with this dramatic uh, arrival of so many desperate people into a situation that's already incredibly difficult for those who, who live there? Bangladesh, of course, is a very, uh, it's quite a poor country, but it's, it has a growing economy and has yes. had five to six percent growth annually over very many years now. Yes. Um, so it's not doing too badly, uh, but of course it's got uh, a tremendous poverty problem still and it's crowded, etc. Et so at first they tried to resist and push mm -hmm. the Rohingyas back and they used the army. Army was deployed along the border and, and actually pushed them back, pushed them away, shot at them. But that only lasted for maybe a week or so. And then they had a change of heart and mm -hmm. that they would have to take them in. And they just started flooding in. It's a bit of a problem still for Bangladesh to have all this many people there, but there's so many aspects to this. Um, but one crucial aspect is that they, Bangladesh needs foreign aid mm -hmm. to be able to sustain this. Right. 
So they do get a lot of aid from places like Turkey and the Middle East and from the EU and UNDP and World Food Programme, etc. They do get a lot of, of aid, enough to sustain the Rohingyas, right? So that's not the issue. It's not mm-hmm. the issue of food. What is an issue is what do you do with them in the long term? I mean, where, where are you supposed to put them? So one reason why... Bangladesh had, the Bangladesh government had a change of heart with mm-hmm. Rohingyas flooding in. It was, because, I mean, it was a humanitarian disaster. That's one thing. And they were Muslims and there was a sort of Muslim brothers and it's difficult to turn them away. Mm-hmm. But Bangladesh also was in the middle of its own sort of identity crisis. Yes. A, an ongoing, for a lot, an old struggle between a government that has a tradition for being secular and Islamist opponents. And this has been going on for a long time, but it sort of became more acute after 2013, 14, 15. There's a lot right. of people in these years. One organization in particular was very big, was sort of emerged from 2013 and onwards, Hefajot Islam. And in order to sort of reach an understanding with mm-hmm. this organization, the government simply allowed the Rohingyas to come in and the Hefajot to sort of devote his energies towards the Rohingyas and help them. So the government could have, could claim to have preserved and, and protected its Islamic policies and, uh, uh, as, an, as a good Muslim government and allowed conservative Islamist government uh, organizations a new field of interest. Um, group of people to be concerned with and so that they wouldn't be so much concerned with what the government was doing. So this was, this was, there was a trade-off there. Uh-huh. Uh, and at the same time, it was, it was immensely popular among voters in Bangladesh mm. that, you know, we, we look at us. I mean, we're so, we're such a yes. country and yet we are so open to help people in need. Where is Turkey? Where is, uh, you know, the Arabs? Right. You uh, us. We are the poor people, and yet we are doing this. And the Prime Minister, Sheikh Hasina, for a long while was called uh, Mother of Humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was actually a big boost for the government. In, in it was used point. as, uh, yes, it was a big boost for the government. And uh, for a while, she was, um, they thought she would receive the Nobel Peace Prize uh, for this, which is, you know, a bit far-fetched. But yes. She would, she did, I mean, it, it, it was a real humanitarian disaster. Exactly, yes. On its borders. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like they had a terrifically big choice. I mean, they had to take them in. The, the flood of refugees was such of such magnitude that it would be very difficult to put them back. Hmm. And then there's another element in all of this, which is something that we don't know all that much about. And that is China. And what was China's role in all of this? Because China certainly wants to be a friend of Burma and it wants to be a friend of Bangladesh. And uh, reports suggest that China put some pressure on the Bangladeshi government not to protest too loudly, to Mm -hmm. try to reach some sort of an agreement with Burma for the return of the refugees. So the Bangladeshi government played along for a long while, for several Mm -hmm actually, trying to negotiate a settlement with the Burmese so that the refugees could go back home. Nothing ever came out of that. Uh, The Rohingyas did not feel it was safe to go back, and very few did actually. I mean, a handful of people did actually go back, but no more. 
and they preferred to stay in the refugee camps in Bangladesh. So, but the thing is that they continued this long negotiation to seemingly no end. All along, it's quite clear that China did play a role in, in trying to settle the mood between these two governments. 80, 85% of the Bangladeshi military's armaments comes from right. China. And Chinese are also financing, helping finance a lot of uh, infrastructure building in Bangladesh. Yes. So um, they, ha they are in a position to put some pressure on the Bangladeshi government. And, you know, many of us who study international politics would look at a situation like this and say, well, hang on a minute. Uh, isn't this what we have the United Nations for? Where are these international organizations, these multilateral actors? We're supposed to have this new doctrine of a responsibility to protect that many of my colleagues in the UK are, are studying and talking about. What happened to this idea that when things go horribly wrong between countries, uh, an international operation will be conducted to come in and, and rescue the situation in some way. Why hasn't that happened in this case? The first answer would be that the Chinese of, uh, government has stopped any Security Council resolution right. on the topic. And what the UN organizations have done is that they've gone in with a lot of aid, uh, but they are unable to put pressure on the Burmese to take them back. Right? So mm -hmm. the, the big issue. So you have a refugee situation, but you're unable to resolve it. The alternative here would be to take the refugees and put them in other countries. It's not happened. So the UN and uh, international bodies have been unable to resolve the refugee situation. The thing now is that the refugees, about a million of them, live in camps along yes. the border where they are guarded by the Bangladeshi army because Bangladesh doesn't want them into the country, right? They're in yes. these camps. And um, they're guarded there. They're given food, some basic, very basic health services, some very basic schooling, and just kept there. Mm -hmm. There's nothing happening to them. No. No solution. No. There's nowhere to go, which is why a lot of them are trying to escape since uh, 2017, 2018, there's been a small migration crisis with um, Rohingyas getting into rickety fishery, fishing boats on Bangladesh coast, uh, trying to reach Malaysia. Yes. Because there are Rohingya settlements in, in you know, refugees uh, settled in right. Malaysia already. And of course, there's a large Bangladeshi community of, uh, of migrant workers in Malaysia. And also some in Thailand, I understand, but mostly yes. Malaysia is a locally in, in the region. It's a very wealthy country. Um, Absolutely. And, and with great opportunities for migrant workers. So there's a lot of people trying to reach Malaysia uh, in these boats. But actually, it's, it's actually quite far from Indeed. Yeah. To, to Malaysia because you need to, you know, pass all of Burma. Yep. And the west coast of Thailand. So I calculated it's about 1,500 kilometers. Right. Which is twice as far as it is from Norway to Britain. Yes. So that's quite far in a small fishing boat. Right. And, and uh, what happens is that, well, a lot of people do reach. Of course, they probably, a lot of them go to, to Thailand. And then they're smuggled across the border into Malaysia. But what does happen is that they run out of diesel uh, or they have engine problems, some of them, mm -hmm. and, uh, and they're left, right? Yes. The smugglers just leave them in these boats, uh, drifting on the, 
or the Bay of Bengal, oh my. where they are sometimes picked up by Burmese or uh, Thai Coast Guard or even Malaysian Coast Guard, but they don't want them. So they right. give food and then mm -hmm. leave them there. Yes. Food and water, and then they just leave. Right. So a lot of people do vanish at sea and yes. picked up by the Bangladeshi Coast Guard and put yes. on, on this, uh, in, on this uh, small island that they've, um, they have, uh, where they've constructed a small town for right. refugees. Yeah. And, and what's going on inside these refugee camps that you're telling us about? That's a huge number of people. It's this, actually as many people as in Copenhagen in a, in a camp of 800,000, 900,000 people. What yeah. um, kind of life are the Rohingya having in these camps in Bangladesh? So one reason why they're fleeing is because there are no prospects. Yes. Right? Particularly for, for you know, young adults, there is nothing. There is absolutely nothing. There's no, there's no, there's not even, you know, any uh, teaching. There's no school, mm -hmm. there's no sort of secondary school in any of these camps. The foreigners are asked to leave at dark. So, yes. So, uh, and at night, the, it's the army that basically, that, that is officially in control of the, uh, of the refugee camps and that whole area. Army can at times be a bit brutal. They also permit a lot of the Islamists to come in and run schools and mm. and uh, and uh, do their stuff to which the Islamists happily do because it's it's a way of recruiting yes um, uh, followers and then you have this uh, the the criminals right because this is quite close to the Burmese border and Burma is the world's largest producer of amphetamine which is a groovy stuff to be very simple to 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 smuggle across the border mm -hmm. uh, and then it's being um, i don't know what they do in these camps with this uh, with this uh, amphetamine but they do um they do smuggle it on to uh, to the rest of bangladesh which is a yes. huge market right huge market it's 160 million people and alcohol is banned of course being a muslim country so uh yaba which is this yes it's uh, also a Thai word, yes. Crazy, right? <laughs> crazy <laughs> medicine, it means. Crazy medicine. Crazy medicine, exactly. Yes. Very popular, very popular, <laughs> yes. uh, and very addictive. So, uh, so that's a big. But these criminals are quite ruthless, uh, and it's uh, it's life situation for Bangladeshis. Uh, for, for, sorry, for the Rohingyas in these camps at night is precarious. Uh, there's a lot of rape, for instance. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of lawlessness. Um, so, um, you know, it, it's a bleak situation. It's a very bleak situation. From what you've set up to now, there doesn't seem to be any very obvious solution. Is Bangladesh gradually waking up to the idea that this is a new normal, that these people are going to be there effectively indefinitely? Well, I think that people, at last, you know, decision makers in Bangladesh have feared that for a long while. Yes. There is no solution, which is mm -hmm. why they've been pressing the UN, the EU, China, etc., to find a solution. They've been pushing the Burmese for a long while. They're keeping the topic warm internationally as far as they can, diplomatically. But of course, Bangladesh doesn't have a lot of influence in the world. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It's, it's poor. It's um, you know, squeezed in between more important people like India and even Burma is more important. Of course. And no one really cares, right? So they don't have a lot of influence. And what they've been doing is that they've, been, they've used 
Rohingya, Rohingya situation quite effectively to get concessions from the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And also to get some concessions from the UN and the US. But it's not, it's not a satisfactory situation no. for Bangladesh. It's, uh, there's a lot of unrest in that corner. It can bl- blow up. There's been protests. The locals who live there already, the Bangladeshis, are very unhappy because you know, the Rohingyas uh, undercut the labor wages quite effectively. So there you mean the locals in, the, in that area of Bangladesh? In that area, the Bangladeshis, in yeah. that area where the camp has been uh, yes. uh, erected. And also a lot of people have lost land, of course. Mm. They lose livelihoods. There are new opportunities, but it's not an easy situation to adapt to the sudden influx, influx of a million people. No. Um, so there's a lot of this local unrest. And of course, it's, it's a dangerous situation because you don't know what deeply unhappy population of about a million people with mm. prospects mm. will do in the end. I mean, yes. how are they going to, you know, are they going to start flooding the rest of Bangladesh? Are they going to get arms? There are arms available. It's not difficult to get mm-hmm. arms. And uh, to what extent will the army, for instance, be able to control it? So it's a bit of a, it's a tricky situation. I mean, it's a situation the Bangladeshi government can do something, can use to its advantage. Mm-hmm. It can use it as a leverage. Yes. It's not a happy situation. No. And there's no, there's no, right now, there's no prospect. There's no solution. There's absolutely no solution. They built an island. Or is it, there's an island. Um, it's one of these islands that sort of mm-hmm. keeps coming up. Right. Uh, in the delta. Indeed. Yes. So, so uh, they built a small town on this island. The UN is very hesitant and, and human rights one very hesitant. They don't think that it's a, it's a nice place to put uh, the Rohingyas. But the Bangladeshi government has insisted they want to put the refugees on this particular island. So the island is about four to five kilometers long and, and four kilometers wide. And it's it, it was almost hit by the cyclone that uh, yes. was there last night. Yes. And they built a whole town on this island, mm-hmm. probably large enough to house, let's say, 10,000 people, right? It's quite a nice town. I don't think that the UN is, is correct in saying that it's not an inhabitable uh, place. You can live there. That's, mm-hmm. It's definitely possible. But the problem is that it will house, what, 10,000 people. Now you have a million people. Right. So that's not going to even make it. It doesn't difference. help. No. It doesn't help. It no. doesn't help. So you allow a few thousand, maybe 10,000 a year, uh, 50,000 a year to go to, to Malaysia. Even that is not going to help. You have a million people. That's a lot. It, it would, if you send away 50,000 per year, that's going to take you 20 years to get rid of it. Okay. Yes. It's a lot of people. So yes. the only solution, the only solution right now seems to be to continue giving them food and health right. services and just leave them there. So we're stuck with this prospect of a, a sort of holding operation. I mean, just, just quickly, as, as scholars of Asia, we like to go and, and study these kinds of things. Are the people who are getting access to the camps who are able to examine, to analyze, to interview, to work out what's going on inside that? Occasionally, you can get access to the camps. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, it depends a bit on the situation in Bangladesh otherwise. Uh, during election time, for instance, you will not get access. No. When, when, when the situation is a bit tense in the country, 
you do not get access, but there are people who do go uh, uh, and, and study the situation. It is possible to get access, it is. But the government of Bangladesh is not too happy about it. No, they right. they're not, not actively encouraging people to, to go there. Definitely not. That's understandable. <laughs> Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Harold. I think many of us didn't really see this problem so much from the Bangladesh perspective and understand how, how difficult it must be to, to try to find a way to resolve it. So I hope that we can continue talking about this and other issues in the Nordic Asia podcast in the future. Yes, Thank sir. you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast. This is Duncan McCargo. I'm the director of the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies, and I've been talking to Harold Rood from University of Oslo about the Rohingya situation in Bangladesh. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.